Hi, everyone. Um, the reading tonight is from Romans 8, verses 9 through 17, and then 26 through 27. It'll be up there. You can get it out in your own Bible. Um, but you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if the Spirit is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies, also through his Spirit that dwells in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, in fact, we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I'm going to invite up Jeff. I'll just pray for Jeff. Um, Lord, I just want to bring Jeff to you, all of his words prepared um, on this awesome passage. And God, um, would you prepare him? Would you speak through him? And Lord, I pray that we would listen. You give us ears to hear. Amen. You would notice that as we are looking at uh, a parable out of Luke's gospel, the last, very last phrase in that parable finished with, uh, after encouraging us that the Lord answers prayer like a father, good father, he says uh, words like, how much more will God give And you're expecting him to say, whatever you ask. But he says, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And uh, that comes as a bit of a surprise. I suppose for us, not so much for God, in as much as when he thinks of the Holy Spirit and he thinks of us, he thinks that's the critical ingredient that we are missing. That to be fully human, to reach our capacity that he has in mind, we need the Holy Spirit. That's the, the vision that Christ has for uh, humanity. It's not uh, been fulfilled, but that is what he prefers. That's our highest good, the epitome. 
of that. And if you cast your minds even further back to September, and I'm sure you remember every sermon that we've preached since September, then uh, when you get back there, I can't even remember who won the grand final because I, I don't barrack for Melbourne, but um, uh, I can remember uh, around that time we were looking at that wonderful passage in Ephesians chapter 6, where you'd look through Ephesians, and we're just finishing that off as I arrived at this church. And there is that amazing passage in the end of Ephesians which speaks of the armour of God and Paul says as he finishes up with that metaphor of putting on the armour of God he says similarly to the Luke passage pray at all times there's this little phrase in the spirit and it's a command that's how we're meant to pray all the time in the spirit whatever that means the spirit is our highest good and we are to be praying in the Spirit. Now, I don't think that is implying that we're meant to speak in tongues all the time or we're meant to be in a rapturous ecstasy all the time. I don't think that's what he's getting at because he goes on to say, pray in the Spirit, making supplication for all the saints. It's a, a rational, it has content, it's deliberate, it's thoughtful. And he says, be alert at all times uh, as you pray in the Spirit. It's uh, very much hand in glove with the previous passage about asking for concrete things. And so I want to look at what that could mean and the book that answers that question is the book of Romans. The book of Romans, as was read to us, and I'm taking a particular passage uh, from a particular version tonight, um, it has this this wonderful, you you must study Romans. uh, I was given that advice as a young Christian, that if I'm to understand what God is doing in my life, then make Romans, uh, in fact, try and memorise chunks of Romans. It is Paul's manifesto for the Christian life, if you like. He writes it on holiday. It's not a pastoral epistle. It's, it's like his thesis that he's had time to sit back and get it all together and just write what you need to know for understanding God's work in your life. And Romans 8 is like the climax of that incredible book. It's the pinnacle of Romans 8 as his thesis comes to its high point. And so we're leaving out the first uh, paragraph of that uh, wonderful chapter in Romans 8 where Paul talks about the difference between a saved person and an unsaved person in terms of being led by the Spirit. And then we come on to these words... In verse 9, for you, saved people that is, are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you. That's the mark of a Christian, is that God's spirit has taken up residence within us. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him. But then we come to this critical verse, which is a lot of people don't notice it, and it's skipped over. But the writer says, But Christ, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. It is a critical verse to understand prayer, but also understand your Christian life. And I want to point out three principles out of this passage tonight, out of Romans 8. There is so much here that we could work on in Romans 8. If you want to spend a really quality month with God, just take two verses of Romans 8 a day and slowly read it, write it out in your own words. Cross-reference it if you can't follow a phrase. It will be rich for your soul. 
But I want to just focus on those things that Romans 8 says about prayer and the connection between prayer and the Spirit tonight, which are pretty critical. The first principle I call the principle of animation, which comes out of this verse. You notice I've got the same verse from two different editions of the Revised Standard Version. Down the bottom is the 1955 version. Up the top is the 1990-something or other version, the new RSV. Good version. But a lot of versions and a lot of people, when they read this, they think like Greek thinkers, like philosophers. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, your spirit is alive. My spirit is alive because of righteousness. For some reason or other, it's alive. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying that when the fall of man happened, that great crash, that somehow your spirit survived it. That it's like the flight box recorder that is discovered later intact. The body, cactus. The spirit, okay. That's the bit God works with. That is actually a pagan idea that comes from Plato and Socrates. It doesn't come from Jesus or Paul. It creeps into the church repeatedly. Somehow the important stuff in life is not the bodily stuff, it's the inner stuff, the spirit, my spirit. But that's not Christianity. God does not need help to save us. He doesn't need good stuff to work with. When Paul says the body is dead, he means the whole person spiritually speaking, is cactus, is dead, finito, inert, not helpful, not godly. Spiritually, it is useless. We cannot save ourselves, we cannot pull ourselves up by our own bootlaces, whatever it takes. But what he says is a remarkable truth here. If we're to understand what God is doing in our lives, we have to understand that his work in our lives is an alien work. It comes from outside. That the only living thing in me is the Holy Spirit, not my spirit. That's what he's saying. Read it again. The good version, the literal version, what it actually says in the Greek is not that part of us is good, part of it is bad, whole of us is bad. What is good But if Christ is in you, which is another way to speak of the Spirit, it's the way that Christ dwells in you, though the body is dead, the body being the self, Paul's thinking like a Hebrew here, not like Plato, the body is all you are. Though you, inside brackets, is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life. The animating principle at work in our life, is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who breathes life into us, as he did the first time with the first Adam. And you see also, it says, why is that so? It's because of righteousness, which is Paul's shorthand for all the previous seven chapters where he's spoken about how we get right with God, how you get justified, how you get declared right in the court of God, how you get acquitted is a synonym for this. And Paul has gone to great pains to point out that we are acquitted because of the righteousness of Christ put on our account and our sin put on his account. And God looks at us and he declares us right. The judge has declared his verdict. It's not a description. 
It's a declaration of a judge. And because of that declaration of righteousness, the Spirit can inhabit us, wants to inhabit us, and he becomes life for us. Anything that is alive, you attribute to God. This is good for us to know because this principle precedes understanding prayer. We've got to understand ourselves lest we get ahead of ourselves, lest we think there is something special in me. I've been walking with God and I'm making a bit of progress here. No, it's that the the spirit of life is starting to get his way and we're instrumental in that. But he is actually the principle of life. This is the same old hardware, this Jeff, as the night before I received Jesus Christ. He didn't turn me into a new sort of stuff. He just came in and lived there, and when he comes, he never leaves. It's not on again, off again. You don't receive the Holy Spirit every second Sunday. I, I cannot stress that enough. The Holy Spirit is God's mark of ownership upon you. He has come in, and if you've invited Christ into your life, that is the mark of ownership. He places his thumbprint on us and that thumbprint is the Holy Spirit. Can I stress that? That's the principle of animation which undergirds understanding prayer. We've got to put prayer inside that framework when we study it. Unfortunately, Paul goes on and he starts talking about prayer. In the next paragraph he says, in the second principle, so then, brothers and sisters, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you die. But by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. You see, it's by the Spirit's work, not your work. You put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. For all who led led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And now he says this remarkable thing. The second passage, if we move on to uh, Romans 8, 15 and 16, he says in 15 and 16, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption. The the thing that the spirit also does is assure us that we're part of God's forever family. We're in the will, if you like, of God. And uh, he says, you didn't receive a spirit of slavery, you received a spirit of adoption. Now I want you to notice, and you tell me, this is audience participation time tonight, when we cry, Abba, Father, it's that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit, that we're children of God. He's trying to say, how do you know that you're really saved? It's because the Spirit bears witness that we're children of God. When Who's doing the crying here? Who is the subject of the action here? Sorry? We. We. When we cry, and I think I used this in a devotional earlier in the year, but... When we cry, Abba, Father, when we have that yearning for God as Father, and we want to move close to him, then that's a mark that the Spirit is bearing witness. Interestingly, probably two years earlier, maybe even up to ten years earlier, depending on when Paul went to Galatia, um, he wrote a similar thing, very similar passage, about the same adoption process. And he says, And because your children... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Who is doing the crying now? Who is the subject of the action? You're allowed to speak here. It's, 
It's Q Baptist, not... <laughs> I nearly said something else. So what is it? Um, the spirit. It's the spirit doing the crying. Now, it's not that Paul is confused, but this tells you how Paul thinks about the work of the spirit inside a human being that has been saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's saying, when we cry, all the spirit cries. In Paul's mind, it's not that these terms are interchangeable, my spirit, his spirit. My spirit is not the second, third person of the Trinity. I'm not assumed into the Godhead when I'm saved. It's, it, but it, it may be not interchangeable, but it is indistinguishable. You cannot get a screwdriver and find a hole and wedge away the spirit from our spirits. And so... What Paul is trying to say, this is the principle of our affections as a Christian. That, that when we become saved, here is the remarkable truth he's getting across. The Holy Spirit in eternity has never had a moment in his living memory where he hasn't yearned for the Father. So it shouldn't surprise us that when that same spirit comes and makes his temple my heart, that yearning becomes my yearning. My desire for the Father is nothing else but his desire. Leave it up to Jeff, he's indifferent. He's contemptibly dry with regard to God. But when the Spirit has control of Jeff, Jeff yearns for the Father because the Spirit yearns for the Father. The Spirit who has always yearned for the Father cannot but do what he has always done and yearn for the Father regardless of what temple he is living in. So if you have a hunger for God, guess where that comes from? It's nothing else but the Spirit. This is why it's important principle of the spiritual life that if ever you yearn for God, do not ignore that. If ever you have a penchant for praise, a penchant to pray, to, to petition God, don't put it off. What is that? It is the Spirit of God doing what comes supernaturally to him, but now supernaturally to us. It's quite irregular. The cosmos is taken the patterns of that relationship in the Godhead and placed it right here. That is quite an astonishing story, as I think, of myself. That that is what has happened. We have been elevated into a three-person love story when we were saved, though we still reside here, though we are somewhat contemptible in terms of the eyes of the world, though we aren't too much chop. In any department, God has given us his yearnings. That's a great relief, I find. Because that is saying to me that I do not need to work myself into a state to make God listen to me. It's his passions which are affecting my passions. If I have to go and put on mood music and think hard and work myself up into a state and produce an emotional egg, then I could do that without the spirit. Therefore, that is not the spirit. Mere human emotions aren't the spirit. The spirit is the spirit. And his passions become my passions. My cares become his cares. My groanings become his groanings. 
That's the astonishing thing about being a Christian. It is fellowship. It is a relationship through the Spirit because of Jesus. And then Paul comes to his third point in chapter 8, which is, we'll jump over the paragraph preceding this, where he talks about the suffering of this world and, and uh, even, even the suffering of nature is connected to our redemption. Um, that's an important reminder. We're not going to fix this world just by having concern for the world. Its demise is connected to our demise. And so we groan about our bodies. We groan about not just our ailments, the aches and pains of age or ill health, but we, we, we groan about the fact that we're not what we should be. And that weighs us down, weighs Paul down. But he, then he says, but there's likewise, there's more. There's more about prayer here. He says, verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's look a little closely at those two verses. This is the third principle. I just find it very encouraging that Paul says here, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Paul, the apostles' apostles, the globetrotter from Tartarsus, that guy, who had an incredible track record, that Paul says the Spirit doesn't help you, plebs. He says us. He's inside the brackets. That Paul realises that he is weak when it comes to spiritual things. The apostle. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. Paul is basically saying, regardless of who we are, even Paul, quiet Paul, didn't know what to pray, how to pray, how to adopt the appropriate posture. He was a novice when it came to real prayer. And all of us always will be. The fact that we uh, feel like we're swimming without our, our uh, <laughs> inflated wings so often in prayer is exactly how you should feel. But that is not an excuse to stop praying or to regard yourself as if you weren't meant to. That's just the lie of the evil one. He wants us to be frustrated and end it there. But that's actually the normal Christian experience. We're not prayer warriors. But the Spirit is the one who prays in us. The Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. That's the incredible thing. And it comes from the animation principle. And here I call this one the representation principle. I wish I could think of a word that started with A, with Asian on the end, but I can't. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, as I was saying this morning, I'd win the Nobel Prize for assonance. If only I had that word. But... Um, Here, in this period of weakness, the Spirit helps us in prayer. Now, that comes out as a one-syllable word, help, in this text. In the Greek text, it's got about six syllables. It's one of Paul's made-up complex words with a whole set of little prepositions. And, And it really means to lift up something heavy with someone and help them. That's what it means. 
It's really a picture of when you have a burden, the Holy Spirit gets the other end of the log so you can lift it. That's his job. And that's the picture Paul has for us here. The Spirit comes alongside, lifts up the burden with us, help type stuff in our weaknesses. For let's face it, Paul is saying, we don't know how to pray as we ought. God never gets what he deserves from our prayers. You know, that'll be fixed later on. But that very spirit intercedes for us. He puts in a word with God, with sighs that are too deep for words. He puts in, as you were, it's like he picks up the motive, the core, the essence of our prayer, regardless of how we are expressing it. And this spirit who has decided to live in us and to make our cries his cries and our groans his groans, he then, he then takes up and intercedes when we pray before the Father. He represents that with sighs that are so deep. They're, they're deeper than whale song. They're deeper than the song of the spheres of the cosmos and that hum. They are at a resonant frequency that only God the Father can pick up and they go straight through the cosmos into the next dimension. And we can't do that, but he can. We are not heard because of the audible qualities of our own voice. We're heard because of the power of the Holy Spirit has a penetrating access to God through the cosmos into the very heart of God. That's the astonishing thing, that he alone who has the ear of God takes up my groans and puts them at such a frequency that God alone can hear. And he expands that in verse 27. And God who searches the heart, that's my heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit always intercedes according to the will of God. It's like the Spirit takes my mumbo-jumbo stuff and he runs it through his sensor and he purifies and he just takes that kernel that is true and he takes that to God. He is the one who... who the God that he speaks to is the one who searches the heart, you notice there. In other words, whenever I bow my head, in fact, right this minute, I am absolutely conspicuous to God. You are an open book to God tonight as you are sitting there. He knows every thought you think. He is omniscient and he's omnipotent. He is present. You only exist, you only don't fly away into a stream of photons tonight because he has made a decision that you will exist. And don't tell me, he doesn't know exactly what you're thinking. And where you've been and where you will go, he knows you, but you know what else? God the Father knows the mind of God the Spirit. There has never been an instant second where there has been a friction between the Spirit of God and God the Father. They're always on the same wavelength. The Spirit has always been conspicuously accurate. And that same Spirit is able to take the God who sees both the mind of the Spirit and the mind and the heart of Jeff, and that Spirit comes along and he takes what Jeff has and he he makes it acceptable to God and he puts it on that resonant frequency that God says, that's my will. The Spirit never prays anything to the Father that is contrary to the will of God. 
And that should give us confidence that he's going to be able to make up for my deficiency and my ignorance and my stupidity and my self-centeredness when I'm praying. He can still answer prayer. That's a big confidence that we have. The Spirit intercedes for our salvation. You know, many years ago when I was at my last full-time church in Melbourne before I went into teaching, um, we had a very musical church and uh, uh, I had a little habit. I'd try and write a song for each sermon series that we were doing. We had a lot of very capable musicians and songwriters. And, and as a gift, as I was um, leaving that church, they decided to uh, uh, fork in all the, the music teams and fork in and um, pay for some session time to rec- cut a CD of their favourite songs that had come out of my era. And... Uh, uh, sadly, I've lost that CD, but um, it was, uh, I was really touched by that. But it was curious that at the same time, I didn't realise that in my, the last year of my pastorate there, the sound guy, who was a very fond friend up until this point, um, had been doing something every Sunday morning whenever I was preaching, that is. And when I would come up to preach, I would always come up during... A hymn, we always, in just our tradition, always had a hymn or a, a long song just before the pastor preached, just to stand people up, get the brain working again, you know. And uh, so I'd come up and I'd sort of sing the last verse of the hymn, and he was recording it. And uh, so many times I'd try a little jazzy harmony that came so close to what was needed, and, and then I'd go quiet for a line, and then I'd start up again and... And he's recording all this. And he also, this bunch of musos, cut a CD called Jeff Sings. <laughs> a cappella. <laughs> and all the favourite hymns were butchered. From <laughs> and I've spent my life quest trying to hunt down the last living copy of that CD. And if you've got one, I'd really like to know it. It was terribly embarrassing when I finally heard why people were laughing and forking out their 20 bucks for this CD. And uh, I, I, uh, I felt, gosh, you know, now I'm seen, I'm conspicuous. But, you know, I'm glad it was my singing and not my praying. I'd love to see what the great literary giants of this world would make of my junk mail prayers, morning by morning. In the middle of the night, when I can't sleep and I'm groaning over the state of people in my family or the stupid things I've done or said, right then, that's actually when I'm most effective. Because the Spirit of God, he likes groaning and he takes that groaning and he makes my groans resonant with his. And he sends them to the heart of the Father who has never denied him. That's the astonishing difference of Christian prayer. Many people in churches say prayers, but Christians pray in the spirit. You can see why Paul says pray in the spirit at all times. There's no comparison. There's no other way to pray. Praying in the spirit is much more about what you don't try to put over on God rather than what you do. 
The songs of heaven are set in the key signature of humility. Take that with you next time. You sense the movement of the Spirit of God wanting you to join him in prayer. Will you do that for Jesus' sake? Amen.